So we are in week two of Provoked. If you were not here last week, last week we talked about, let's say it like this. Last week was real high challenge. So I apologize. Last week was real high challenge. Um, last week was don't turn your blessing into idolatry. It was, it was want God more than you want that thing. And I sat and I uh, talked with Rachel um, early this week on Monday. And I was asking for a little bit of direction um, when it came to Hannah. Um, if you don't know, Rachel is all things women characters when it comes into the Bible. And um, she gave me a little bit of direction that helped and my wife as my witness. This is probably one of the most difficult uh, messages I've ever had to give. Because uh, this week I actually got a chance to see Hannah. And and I want you to know that uh, if there's nothing else that you get from this message today, it's that we see you. It's that God sees you. It's that I see you. I see, I see exactly what it is that you're going through. I see exactly what it is that you're crying about. Let's, let's, let's get into it. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 1. Let's go verse 7 through 20 if you have your physical Bibles with you. Bless up. If not, you can read with us from the screen. If you have it, say amen. All right. It says, year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Man, like I can't even, I can't even get through the reading. Just imagine every time you go to the churches, the church, the, the Lord's house, it's just somebody there waiting to, to just taunt you, to provoke you. Man, she was going through it. So she would weep and would not eat. In the Lord's house. You ever been going through something so difficult that when you got here, you couldn't even eat? All you could do is cry. Hannah, why are you crying, her husband? Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple, deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction. In, in another version, it says your handmaid, your assistant, the one who works on your behalf. When you're a servant, you work tirelessly. You work thinking of the, the person that you're serving more than you think of yourself. She said, if you would just notice the one who's been serving you, if you would notice the affliction of that person and remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman 
with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I'm pouring out my heart before the Lord. She said, I haven't been pouring out anything but my heart. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish. I've been praying from the depth of my resentment. And Eli responded. He said, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. It said after they worshiped, they returned home to Ramah. Now, I got to stop and say, it says they returned home to Ramah. That's important because at the beginning of chapter one, it said that they were from Ramathaim. But now it says they returned home to Ramah. Remember that. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife. It says they worshiped. Then they went home, and they were intimate. It said they worshiped. (laughs) Then they went home. We've already did the worship. So when we get home, it said they (laughs) worshiped. Then they went home, and they were intimate. And the Lord remembered her after some time. I apologize. She looks beautiful to me. Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him. From the Lord. Let's get to the first point. Uh, If you don't know my son, his name is Caleb. I talk about him often when I preach. And there's one thing Caleb's not going to do. Caleb's not going to stay fearful. He does not like to be scared. However, he's scared all the time. Um, Caleb is five. He'll be six in a couple of weeks. And there has not been a month of our life where Caleb has been capable of walking and he has not walked into our room, our room in the middle of the night. He is deathly terrified of the dark. And if he wakes up and it's dark, he's not going back to sleep. He's coming into our room. And I was preparing for this message. I was like, all right, Lord, like, what is it that I can say to help them understand what it is that I want to talk about, which is fear? Like, how can I break down fear in a way that the people will understand? And, and, and I kept thinking of Caleb's fear. And the one thing that I want to say about Caleb, again, is that Caleb won't allow for fear to not allow for him to go to the Father. Some of us will just remain in fear. We'll stay in fear. We'll stay surrounded by fear, and we won't go to the Father about it. I've threatened my son to not come into my room in the middle of the night. He's been in my room face to face with me and I've climbed over my wife as she's grabbing me to not put my hands on this dude. And I'll say, Caleb, ain't nothing in your room. There's nothing for you to be scared of. Go to your room and go to sleep. And he'll look me right in my face. No. He won't even look at me after he tells me no. He'll look at my wife and he'll be like, move over. Because this right here is where I'm about to sleep. Because this is where my peace is. I'm not going back to fear when I know peace is in here. How often have we just stayed where fear is when the Father's right next to us? 
Caleb is more fearful of fear than he is the father. I don't know if y'all know how dope that is. He's more scared of being scared than he's scared of the reaction of what the father is going to say to him because he's scared. Even though he knows that the father's going to say X, Y, Z, he, he doesn't care. I'm still coming to you. It doesn't matter if this is the fourth time I've come tonight. It doesn't matter if this is the 20th time I've come this week. I don't care how often it is that I have to complain to the father that I'm scared, but I'm going to the father. I refused to remain in fear. Last week, I was so high challenged that I feel like I never supported you at all. I just came up here and beat you up for 35 minutes. I promise to support you today. I see your fear. But do you? There's one thing that I want you to remember. Is that living in fear will paralyze you. My step one is a life of fear. This is where Hannah was. She was in a life of fear. And fear had silenced her. She was living in a fear that was created by what the culture told her. I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but the culture told her that she wasn't a woman. The culture told her, like, like look, check this out. You could have seven kids. And they all be girls. And her culture would say, God don't love you. She didn't have seven kids. She had zero. It's because of the fact that the culture said that you had to have a boy in order to, to feel like a woman, to feel like God loves you, to feel like you have purpose. So she was living in the fear of the fact that what the culture said might be true. And then she had a husband. And what I learned in my studies this week is that her husband was just settling with her. The Bible says that he loved her, but how he showed it was so horrible. Does anybody in here know a person who you know they love you, but how they show you is horrible? When they show you that they love you, it actually makes you feel worse than when they're not even around. This is where Hannah was with her husband. Her husband's love only reminded her of how much he does not love her. I really wish I could go into details, but that's for step three. And then she was fearful that what Penina said was true. She was fearful that God really did not know her. That God really wasn't for her. The worst part of fear is when your maybes and your fear turn into truths in your mind. Your maybe turns into a mental reality. She was provoked to tears. Provoked, it means to have an emotional response. She was, she, was, she was provoked to a place to where she actually cried often. Year after year, as the word says. She was provoked to a place to where she would push people away. She was provoked to a place to where she would push God away. But this is the dope part of this message that I, I believe I was able to discern is she was provoked to a place to where she realized who she was and not what people told her she was. 
The beautiful thing about realizing who you are is you realize who you are not. There's a point in life where people try to tell you that you're sleepy. I told you last week, my dad's go-to was take a nap. You all right, boy? That finger just broke. Go ahead, lay down. And my mom wasn't too far from it. My grandmother wasn't too far from it. My grandma would say, boy, you acting a little goofy. You sleepy. Go in there and lay down. A lot of us in here have been in a place or space where somebody's told us that we're sleepy. But it got to a point in your life where you start going to sleep on your own. And what happened was you got past what people said you were. And you got to a point where you were actually able to look at yourself and say, now I know that I'm sleepy. Hannah got to a place within the scriptures that we see where she was tired of wearing the label that somebody else created for her and put out for her to put on. Have you ever been to that place or that, 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 that conference where somebody puts out a label for you and you got to pick it up and you got to put it on your chest and then everybody walks around like squinting at you and then they tell you who you are according to the label that was created for you? How often in your life have people been looking at you, squinting at you and telling you like, yeah, you're angry. Yeah, you're depressed. I can see it. Hold on real quick. Let me get a little bit closer. You got problems. You got issues. Does God really love you? Do you really love him? She got tired of walking around being labeled, and it got to a place to where she labeled herself. I promise you this word, it's a lot better than what I'm giving you. Hannah got to a space, to a space where she was no longer with the you tell me about me. She no longer wanted to hear about who someone else told her that she was. She was no longer confused about what somebody else said about her. She was no longer confused about what uh, Elkanah was saying or what Penina was saying. And she got to a point in the midst of her tears where she said, no longer. Now I know who I am. And what the Bible says she did in the midst of knowing who she was, was she got up. Just imagine being where she was in that point of the message, where the Bible says she was in the midst of two people, one who said that he loved her more and the other who's just essentially was just there to, to provoke her and, and antagonize her and taunt her all the time. And in the midst of being at this table where one person is supposed to love you and the other one is supposed to hate you, you're crying your eyes out. You've pushed your plate away. You've said, I'm not going to sacrifice. And what the Bible says is they continue to eat and drink like she wasn't even there. How often have you felt like everything in your life is going bad and the people around you are eating and drinking like you're not crying right in front of them? I'm in a room full of people, but I feel all alone. The Bible says when she got to that space and to that place, she got up. And I feel like the reason why she got up was because in that moment, she realized who she was. I've been crying to you for years. For years. I'm not making it up. It says it in the message. Year after year. The one thing I was talking to, uh, <laughs> I was talking to Rachel about is there is a danger in casual reading. There's also a danger in reading too much. I read so much cultural information about this message that I'm all over the place right now in my mind on what I want to share with you that's dope. One of the things is when, uh, when a word in the, the literal uh, time period, in this literal time period, when they say year after year, it's always over 10 years. 
They only use the word year after year during this period of time when it's over a certain amount of time. So when it says year after year she was provoked, people in that time knew that that meant it was in the tens and ups. So year after year, not only have I cried and nothing has changed, but I've been crying to the same exact people. For over 10 years, I've been crying to my husband. And what's his response? Put the message back up here. His response is like, why are you crying? How many years have I told you while I'm crying? For you to not understand my pain. I need you to know that I see you. I hear you. I understand. But that's not even the dope part, me. Because who cares that KT hears you? God hears you. God sees you. God understands. He knows that you've been crying to the same people for year after year. He knows that you've been complaining to the same people year after year. He knows that you're fearful. He knows that you're willing to, to, to give up. He knows that you're willing to, to push your plate away. He knows that you don't want to sacrifice anymore. He knows that Panina is getting on your nerves. And he hears you and he remembers you and he's waiting for you to get up. Stop standing and staying in these places where you're not growing. How long will you continue to cry out to the same people and not see change? Which brings you into my second point. Get up. The harsh reality of Hannah's situation is that Hannah lived in Ramah. This is why it says in the end of the message that they went back to Ramah. Peninnah, however, she lived in Ramath. So for our understanding, it's like one person living in Canton South and the other person living in East Canton. But when I talk to people, I just say they lived in Canton. In reality, they lived in two different places, Ramah and Ramath. But when they would talk to people, they would be like, we're, we're from Ramathayim, Zephim. But if she lives here, and she lives here, where does he live? If I married you because I love you, but then you're not capable of giving me what it is that I expect from you, so then I leave your presence and I marry her because she's actually capable of helping me get what I want, even though I love you, I can't produce with you, so I got to stay in Ramath. So when she's in Ramah all year long, she don't get to see Elkanah. So when the message says that he shows up and he gives her this double portion and he, all of a sudden he's back in her life telling her how much she lo he loves her, this is the opportunity that she has to see that love. Where have you been the rest of the time? Where were you all those, other, those, those tearful nights that I had? Where were you at when, when I was questioning whether I wanted to live or not? Where were you at when I was suicidal? Where were you at when I was depressed? Where were you at when I was angry? You keep telling me you love me, but every time I call you, you're in Ramah. But every time I look at this deed and every time I look at this lease, your name is on it. You've been allowing for people to stay in your life who have two deeds. And one of those deeds don't have your name on it. And that's not even the crazy part. The crazy part is the person that's been telling you that they love you. They got the deed 
with the other person who only provokes you. Somebody is sleeping in my bed. That's what Cisco said. <laughs> Young people don't get it. They're like, Cisco. <laughs> she got to a point to where she said, I can't stay here. I've outgrown this table. Whew. This table that I've been weeping at for 10 years plus, I've outgrown that table. I can't sit here no more. This table where every year you ask me the same exact question, why are you crying? Aren't I better than 10 sons? How many times I got to tell you no? How many times are you going to approach me with the same questions of why I am the way that I am, why I'm hurt, why I'm in fear? You know what? I didn't outgrown this situation. I remember it like it was yesterday. Rev said, KT, you can't wear them pants no more. You've outgrown them pants. And wore them pants since. Because you can't keep wearing what you've outgrown. Some of y'all have been walking around with the same thing that you outgrew six years ago. Walking around with the same anger that you've been outgrown. With the same depression that you've been outgrown. You've been outgrown that situation and you keep showing up to the same table with it. Wondering why everybody's looking at you like, why she got that on? Why she got on that face? That's not her face. That's not the face that God has given her. That's not the, that's not the praise that she has. You've been outgrown that praise. You've been outgrown that worship. You've been outgrown that worship. I'm going to say that two more times. You've been outgrown that worship. You've been outgrown that worship. It is not Rev's job to come up here and try to raise the dead. But you're wearing the worship that you had six years ago. How many problems has he gotten you through since six years ago? How do you still have on that worship? There's a difference between praise and worship, and I'm not going to get old black church with you. But when you praise somebody, praise is just something. I praise LeBron James. You could praise somebody for being great at something, but when you worship somebody, you worship them because you're the only person that can do this. You can see it in the scripture. It says, once she got to a point to where the man of God, the man of the church, said, now go in peace, the next morning she worshiped because she got to the understanding that you're the only person that can give me what I want. We come to church Sunday after Sunday the same way that she went to Shiloh year after year. Not ready. She went to Shiloh year after year unprepared. Monday through Saturday doing nothing. Waiting for a year after year Shiloh expecting that Penina was going to change. No, Penina never changes. The devil never changes. His, his tricks never change. He's been successful for how long? Why would he switch it up? Why would Penina come with a different Penina? I had you crying last year. Why would I change what I said? I had you frustrated last time I seen you. Why would I change my, my, my posture? Why would I? Everything that I've been doing is working. Why would I change? How you will come to Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, not change, expecting different results? I'm not going to say what the dictionary says that is because that would be disrespectful to you. And I told you I was going to be supportive. Let me get back. I got on my KT for a second. I got real challenging. My bad. 
Get up. Take that off. It don't fit you no more. Not only take it off, but lose it. Don't take it off and put it, fold it up and put it back like you're going to put it on later. No, you can never fit it again. It's never going back on. There's no plan that you're going to go on that eventually you're going to be able to put that back on. No, we're growing. We're going further. We're not going back to that. It doesn't say that she got up miserable. Woof. Says she arose. Woo, is the word is kum in, in, the, in the Greek. I see, I see Corey smiling, I ain't even looking at him. The word is kum in the Greek. It means she got up with an intent. She wasn't crying and hurt and broken and fearful and depressed and struggling and mad and angry. And she got up like, oh, what am I going to do? No, she got up like, I know who I am. I know who he is, and I can't stay here no more. I'm getting up out of this. I've outgrown this. I'm going to the place where his grace is. I'm going to the place where his mercy is. I was not called Hannah to act like I don't have grace, to act like his favor isn't upon me. But I'm getting up with some intent. I'm getting up to make good. I'm getting up to get help. I refuse to remain. That's it right there. I refuse to remain at this table. I've outgrown it. What have you been doing when you've outgrown something? What is your response when you've outgrown it? You have to get up and go to peace. Because you can't remain barren. Back to the harsh reality of her situation. Why was she barren? Because the only person that she chose to bring forth production was in Ramah. There's a difference between I'm barren, but I've been doing everything I can to produce. For everybody that's 13 and older, that's way too young. That was disrespectful. For everybody that's 23 and over, You know what it takes to not be barren. If you're 21, yeah, you said no. Yeah, it's not for y'all. He said it's not for y'all. It's not this grown man conversation. You know what it takes to produce. She was in a place where she knew what it took to produce, but she wasn't capable of doing anything about it. So every year that Penina would stand up and be like, you ain't got no kids. She wasn't just saying you ain't got no kids. She was saying you ain't got no kids and you ain't having none. And this is the reason why. Stand up with me real quick, baby. What you need to have children is connected to me. You're standing here crying, but look who on my arm. He on my side of the table. Just imagine. The only thing that you can get to produce ain't even sitting next to you. But it's sitting next to the person that's making you cry. Sit, oh, my Lord, Jesus. She got to a place where she said, I can't do this no more. I know if you a believer, you've gotten to a place in your life where you said, this has got to stop. I don't care if it's the sinless, the sinfulness. I don't care if it's the lust. 
I don't care if it's the if it's the if it's the the broken mind, if it's the weakness, if it's the darkness, if it's the suicidal thoughts. There has been something in your life that you've gotten to a place of and you said, I have to stop this. This is where she was. Where she said, this has got to stop. I'm going to do something about the fact that I can't produce fruit. This brings me to my last point. The Lord can't remember you until you know who you are. I'm going to say it a little bit different. It's not that the Lord doesn't remember you. High support, my bad. It's that you don't know who you are. It's not that the Lord doesn't remember you. It's that you don't know who you are. If you remember in the scripture, there gets a point to where she starts to pray. And she says, Lord, it's me. She said, look at my affliction. When she, when she enters into the Lord's presence, she doesn't enter into the Lord's presence with words. She enters into his presence with tears. Going into this situation, when's the last time you heard her speak? Did anybody notice that Hannah was silent at all times? Can we bring the scripture back up? At no point in time, in the middle of everything that she was going to, would she ever say anything. Year after year she went. They taunted her. She would weep. She would not eat. Why, Hannah, why are you crying? Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Why is this a problem still? Aren't I better than you having 10 sons? This is hearsay. But one of the, uh, one of the writers said that there was actually 10 sons at the table. This wasn't a hypothetical question. But he was actually pointing to the people that he had impregnated this woman and had and was saying, like, you would rather have this than me? What was her response? She just... She just got up, but she sat there, and she let them eat, and she let them drink while she cried. Then it says she went to the doorpost, or, or it says that Eli was at the doorpost, and she went to the temple, and she made a vow, and she pleaded. But where does it say she pleaded from? Her heart, her soul, so much so that when Eli looked at her, he was like, she drunk. Why? Because she did not say anything. Silent. Let me tell you this from the bottom of my heart. This is the thus say of KT. Your silence is not a strength. Stop being silent all the time when God has a voice for you. He doesn't want you walking around just allowing things to happen and just crying through it. He wants you to speak up. He wants you to speak out. He's given you a voice for a reason. I know so because I see it in the word. She got to a place to where she knew who she was. She knew who God was. She knew what she was called to do. And the first thing she did, can you bring that scripture back up? It says the first thing that she did was this time when she went to God, she was tired of people insulting her. The man of God said, you are drunk. 
You full of wine. Put that wine away. She said, no, don't call me that. This is the first time we ever hear her speak. No. I am a woman with a broken heart. Don't call me a drunk. Don't say who I am not. I ain't had no wine. I ain't had no beer. I haven't poured out anything but my soul. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the death of my anguish. I've been praying from the death of my resentment. So when Eli says, go in peace, it brings me to my thought process of her vow. Hannah got real bold out of nowhere. A woman was not allowed to make a vow over her child because it wasn't her child. It was the, son, it was the husband's, uh, husband's child. So when she went to God and she said, Lord, if you give me, not only will I be receptive, but I'm also going to give him back to you. She didn't have a leg to stand on to even say that to God. Right after her boldness and what she was capable of saying in her heart to God, soon as she was capable of saying something bold to God, the next thing she did was say something bold to man. Woo! I wish somebody in here understood what I just said. If you get to a place where you're bold enough to say something to God that's never been said before. Nobody was going to God making vows as a woman. They couldn't. It was against the culture. But when she got to a place where she was bold enough to say to God something and get out of that place of silence, then she was bold enough to tell the next person who said that she was something, no, that's not who I am. I know who I am. And even though what I say, what she said to him was something negative, she said, I know that God is capable. Yes, I'm a broken woman. Yes, I'm troubled. Yes, I'm going through something right now, but I'm here for God. And I know what God is capable for, uh, capable to do. And his response was go in peace. What did she do the next morning? She worshiped. She outgrew the worship that she was in. She stood up in a new worship. And what they do after they worship, baby. Make it plain. Walk the text. We're not to be silent. And this is what I'm going to leave you with. I'm going to finish up with this. And it's, it's, the part of the, it's the part of the message that's glossed over, so I refuse to gloss over it. It's in like verse 20. It says she bore a son. Uh, if, if you are a mother, could you please stand up? If bearing a son or a daughter is easy, can you please sit down? Look to your left and right. Did anybody sit down? Push is the words that I'm going to leave you with. Ain't that what the doctor say when you're about to bear something? Push. The part that they did not say is that when she went through everything that she went through, she got to a place to where she could have stopped. She got to a place to where she could have given up. Going through the pregnancy, she could have gotten an abortion. She could have did something bold, but she pushed through. That's my message for you today. You can sit down. Push.
I know you're fearful. God sees you. It's time to get up. You can't fit that no more. And now that you know who you are, now that you know that God remembers your name, she said, please remember me, your handmaid. Please remember me, your servant. Please remember me in the midst of all of my afflictions. She said, please remember your servant like three times. And what does it say? After she actually went forth in worship and went forth with her husband in Ramah, who went back with her to Ramah. So Corey going to tell you where, she, where Peninnah went, but she wasn't with Elkanah. After she went forth with all of those things, she pushed through. And she gave birth to what was once barren. We are in a place to where what we need now is we need to give birth to a laundromat. We need to give birth to a barbershop. We need to give birth to a mental health clinic. We need to give birth to a free health clinic. We need to give birth to a, 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 bigger, a bigger and better building. There's so many things that we need birthed. And in order for us to birth those things, you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to push. Amen? Bless up.